You are listening to the Boss Level Podcast. This episode is a cooperation with Ula Agile Culture Accelerator. Jeff, the guest for this episode, was visiting Finland for Ula's event on lean culture and digital customer experience. Ula is a Finnish public service broadcasting company and the most diverse community of creative work in Finland. I've had the pleasure of supporting their Agile transformation, and there are a few things that make their journey to Agile pretty extraordinary. First of all, the whole thing is voluntary. They don't have a company-wide Agile transformation program that everyone has to adhere to. Second, they're more focused on the principles than the practices. They mix, match, learn and adapt instead of following any single discipline. If you want to learn more, read Mirata's blog post. The link is in the show notes. So my name is Jeff Gotthelf, and these days I work as a coach and a consultant and a keynote speaker. Um, I've written a couple of books. I wrote a book called Lean UX with Josh Seiden. I wrote another book with Josh Seiden called Sense and Respond. And uh, and Josh and I, yet again, we work a lot together, um, launched a business book publishing house called Sense and Respond Press, which publishes short practical books for busy executives. They're business books, but each one you can read in less than an hour, and each one is focused on a very specific topic. And I spend my time uh, traveling, working with teams, coaching teams, and and um, giving talks and helping teams move forward when it comes to increasing their agility, uh, their customer centricity, and their evidence-based decision-making. What are your thoughts on how do we plan for change or how do we prepare for change and uncertainty? The most critical quality in an organization to prepare for change is humility. Now, I know that doesn't... So what does that mean, Jeff? Like, what, 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 does it, what do I do tomorrow differently? I think that, first of all, I think it's, it's understanding what it means to be humble. As soon as I say that to... Exe- I work a lot with executive teams, and as soon as I say that, I say that to them, there's a, there's a silence in the room, right? I'm a leader. I'm a manager. I'm not humble. Like, I didn't get here by being humble. I tell people what to do. And I want to be clear to them that humility is not the abdication of leadership. It's not the abdication of vision or strategy or direction. All humility simply is, is the willingness to change your mind in the face of evidence. That's it. Uh, the, I love pithy phrases, and I've learned them from people over the years. One of the ones that I love and I've used for years, I've learned from Janice Frazier um, in, in, from California. She says, strong opinions loosely held. I love that. Right? Brilliant. <laughs> right? And that's that's humility. So that's the first thing. It's it's humble to admit it's because it's honest that you can't predict the future. The pace of change is too fast these days. And so for us to make a three-year roadmap or a five-year roadmap is unnecessary because we have no idea what's going to happen in five years. The level of technological change, the consumer consumption patterns, the the level of this geopolitical instability, these types of things, it's simply too risky for us to make those kinds of plans. So I think if we can admit that, be humble about it, and then admit that the, the ideas that we're putting forward, even our strategic visions, are our assumptions, they're our best guesses about how we will compete into the future, 
is a great place to start because the planning follows from that, right? So if I say to you, look, um, strategically, here's how, what, what I'd like to focus on in 2019 into 2020, right? Beyond that, I think this is where we should go. Terrific. What I've done there for my teams is I've opened up room, a safe space for discussion, for pushback on those ideas. So as we start to execute on this strategy, if, we f- if, if my teams find out that I'm wrong, they feel safe coming back to me and saying, listen, I know this, this is what you thought about, but listen, the feedback from the market says this is not the right way to go. So uh, essentially what you're saying is that one of the really important things is just changing your terminology around this uh, to be more uh, fit for the world of uncertainty. So what I mean is that instead of talking about must-win battles or a roadmap that we have to stick to, we start talking about assumptions. We start talking about beliefs and, and bets and experiments. And that's, that's one of uh, the key ways for changing this in organizations. Language is critical to this. There's a reason why the hypothesis statement template that I teach, whether it's leaders or product teams, always starts with the words we believe, right? Not we know, right? We believe this is true. Our assumption is that building this thing or executing this strategy will impact our customer base in a positive way. If we find out that we're wrong, we're willing to change course. So the words, the words create the space for discovery and for experimentation and learning. Is there some sort of or some amount of long-term planning that that you feel is still necessary or, and useful? And how do we combine long like this this vague form of long-term planning with with the short-term experiments that we want to run? I think you need strategic vision. I, I think having a vision for where you'd like to take an organization over the course of three or five years is fine, right? So take, for example, um, an organization like in, uh, so, so I live in Spain at the moment, um, and we've got a, a food delivery service there called Glovo. Glovo is wildly successful. They're inching on Deliveroo uh, in Europe as one of the leading sort of food delivery services. But clearly, I can see the evolution of their service just simply as the app updates every two weeks, that they're getting into, um, we'll deliver anything and we'll go anything, right? Clearly, there's a three or a five-year vision here to move beyond food delivery into other types of delivery, maybe logistics and so forth, right? And so I think that that's okay to have that plan and to run those experiments. If you find out as you start to run those experiments that for some reason, deliver anything other than food isn't making the kind of traction that you expected in the marketplace, you're meeting difficult regulations or whatever it is, then you're, again, you're willing to change course. And so having that vision is fantastic. Learning about the validity of that vision as you execute is the key to success. Another concept that you talk about in, in the book, Sense and Respond, is that we need to organize for collaboration. Uh, can you talk a little about that? What does that mean? And how do we organize for collaboration? This is where I think most organizations get it wrong. And it's, it's amazing to me that even the digitally native organizations get this wrong. Not all of them, obviously, but a lot of them. What I mean by that is we need to build cross-functional teams. Cross-functional teams at their core are made up of product managers, designers, and software engineers. To me, that's the basic core team. Now, depending on your industry or your organization, you're going to augment that team with subject matter experts, marketing people, um, maybe people from uh, uh, a, a, specific, uh, a specific discipline that's necessary for you to deliver your your service. But, but the goal, like for example, uh, if you work in a financial services organization, maybe you need somebody from legal or risk or compliance on your team. Um, 
So that's the first, is to build those cross-functional teams and, and let them sit together and let them work together and let them be dedicated to a specific initiative. This is where things start to break down in most organizations. If those teams work together on the same thing every day, they start to build a shared language. They start to build a shared understanding. They start to build trust. They inform each other's work. They understand the limits of each other's work more, and they're able to work more efficiently together as a team. Now, the other thing that we have to do is we have to empower those teams to make decisions. Now, remember, if we're being agile, we're working in short cycles, we're working in sprints. And so we want to empower those teams to make those sprint-level decisions. They're the closest ones to the information. They have the most knowledge. They know what to do. They should not have to run every pixel correction, every algorithm tweak, every every uh, minutia up a chain of decision makers to move forward. That will slow them down. Because look, what's the worst case scenario? They get it wrong. It lives for two weeks. They kill it after the next sprint. They learn from it and they move forward. So those are the key qualities of, of building for collaboration. And another concept that I really liked in the book was this uh, concept of, of doing everything continuously. So can you talk a little about that? What does doing everything continuously mean and, and how do you actually do that? The problem that we face in business today is that all organizations who compete on a global level, who want to scale on any kind of a level, have technology at their core. Now, the modern nature of technology is that it is continuous. Right? There was a time, not that long ago, where you went and bought software in a box. Right? I started my career there. Right? And you went to the store and you bought a box of software. Right, and that made sense. We even had model years on software: Windows ninety five, yep, exactly. Windows ninety eight. Right, <laughs> that was exactly what I was thinking about going to buy Windows ninety five in a box. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and, and the, the model year is on there. Like I'm buying yeah. this year's software. Right, and that seems ridiculous today when our apps update every two weeks, website updates tens, if not hundreds, of times a day. Right, and so fundamentally, we're thinking about we're building systems, and that's the key here. Is is this uh, this approach to to systems thinking that has to be applied to business. So continuous everything means that this concept of, of having these large-scale, finite initiatives doesn't make sense anymore, and frankly, it's too risky, right? And whether whether it's the production of a system or a tool or whether it's even something like a an extended research study. So my background is design and research, um, you know, we used to do these months-long research studies. Now, again, it's not that there's no value in this kind of work. There's absolutely value in it. But to think of it as this chunk of finite work that ends is a misconception. And then the question, and the difficult question is then, how do you fit that into a continuous model? And and the advice that that I give teams when I work with them is that we do less more often. So we take that same study and we break it up into shorter chunks that fit into our, our learning loops, into our short cycles. And so that's the key. So research is continuous. We're always learning. Um, development is continuous. We're always developing. Design is continuous. We're always improving things. There's always a way to make things better. 
And I think uh, one of the ways that I like to talk about this is is through the concept of risk management because this is also like so that's that's something that I think a lot of uh, a lot of people are worried about that if we go into this world where we just run experiments all the time and we don't really do long term planning that's really risky because we should be looking at like what our competitors doing or and how do we respond to that and so on. But when we talk about actually running experiments as a risk mitigation strategy, that we're actually like using experiments to learn more and then we have evidence that proves our hypothesis and will actually be better at doing the things that we want to do because they're based on on like the, the results, the outcomes of our experiments rather than some plans that have not been validated. Yeah. I'm, I'm, look, so I told you before, I'm a big fan of pithy phrases, and, and generally I don't come up with them myself. So I've, 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 I've come up with a couple, but uh, another one that I love, I learned from uh, a TED Talk by Astro Teller, the guy who runs Google X, the moonshot laboratory. And he, I love this phrase. He's, he talks about enthusiastic skepticism. And to me, that is the that should be the motto of every organization today. We are enthusiastically skeptical. And what that means is that we are always excited to figure out the next improvement to our product or our service or whatever it is that we do, right? And look, someone could argue that's a crappy way to live, right? That you're never satisfied, that you're never done, that you're never moving forward. But I love that. It's, it's, it's this perpetual curiosity to make things better and that we're excited about that. We come into work every day saying, that was good. How do we make it better? And that whole topic has to do with uh, with us being able to continuously learn because that's that's basically one of the key things that we want to do if we want to create an organization that can sense and then respond to those changes. Uh, what are your thoughts on on creating uh, a culture of continuous learning? I think most organizations find it to be very difficult because still the delivery work is valued more than the learning work. And so carving out the bandwidth for discovery, for learning, seems to come at the expense of delivery. The problem here is that, again, we're, we're fighting 100 years of manufacturing mindset that says that the more stuff we make, the more value we deliver to our customers. And that applies to software as well. There's a mentality that that applies to software as well. When, again, reality, if we're building systems, the goal is to optimize that system. And sometimes optimizing that system means uh, taking something away or not shipping something or optimizing something instead of launching something new. And so fitting in the learning into that delivery mindset is always difficult because someone will say, well, why, why should my engineer go talk to a customer? Right. They should be writing code. I pay. I hired them to write code. They should be writing code, right? Why is the team going out on a contextual site visit, right? And and so to me that that is that's where the challenges are. People see it as uh, less productive. And and also one one way of looking at that is that actually delivering uh, delivering like a product increment that's also a part of learning. So that's actually one of the most efficient ways of for you to learn to actually ship something like a small increment of something and get validation for that. As as long as you can implement it really quickly and not spend a lot of time and effort on it, then that's one of the best ways for you to learn. And generally, what we like, I think a lot of people think about learning as what that means is that we need to carve out time for people to sit at the office and read books. And that's one way of learning, but I, I don't think that's the kind of learning that you and I are talking about right now. No, we're, we're talking about doing something to learn. Uh, th this, how many times have you found yourself in, in a meeting where there's an endless 
debate just going around about what we should do next, right? The, 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 the reality there is the signal that you're getting from the people in that meeting is that that team does not have enough information to make exactly a decision, so. Yeah. right? So go do something. But that something that you do is a, is, it's, a, it's a learning activity. It's a way to go and collect information so that you can make a better decision later. The question to ask yourself is, what's the least amount of work that we need to do to learn the thing that is most important to us right now? And the answer to that sometimes is reading a book. Sometimes it's talking to a customer. And sometimes it's putting a feature in the hands of some customers to see how they react to it based on what it is that we're trying to learn. All of those things yield feedback. And we learn from that. And hopefully we can make better decisions downstream. So what do you feel that companies resist this change? I mean, if, if like we said in the beginning, uh, uncertainty is inherent in the, in the digital space, so it's, it's something that you're probably not going to be able to get rid of. So what do, what do you feel companies resist this whole, whole change? They resist it for two reasons. One is the, the fact that it feels like it takes authority away from leaders. So traditionally, leaders tell teams what to, what to make, what to do, what to build. Build me an app. Build me a system. Make it blue. Have it ready by Thursday. Right? Things like that. And we are taking that away from them. That, I want to be very clear. Yes, we are taking that away from leaders. Because your guess as a manager is probably as good as mine or anybody else's on the team. Exactly. Right? And so we need to figure out which guess is the best. Now, we're not taking authority. Again, we, we want you to lead. We want you to create guardrails. We want you to give a strategic vision and direction. Tell us what's in scope and what's out of scope. But we are taking away your ability or, or your, your mandate to tell a team what to build. So that's one. People have worked, especially people who are in, in any kind of a, a company where they've been for a decade or longer and they've worked their way up to a leadership position, they expect to be able to tell people what to do. And they don't like it when, certainly when I come in and I, I say this to them, like, well, you guys don't tell people what to do anymore. And they're like, no, I don't like that at all. So that's, that's one, one reason why companies push back is because it changes the nature of management. And particularly middle managers really struggle with this. Um, the other reason is incentive structures. We don't pay people for discovery work. We don't pay people for collaboration. We don't pay them for agility. We pay them for heroism and we pay them for delivery generally speaking. And to me, this is one of the biggest failures of organizations that are trying to become agile or digitally transform is that they, they buy all the books, they buy all the trainings, they change their language, they change their team structures, um, they uh, build tribes and chapters and guilds and squads and whatever else, right? And they don't change the performance management system. They still measure people on the old way of working. And it breaks. It breaks every time. That's one of my pet peeves is this this fact that like uh, we talked about collaboration and how, for example, if we feel that that uh, there's there's more need for collaboration in our organization, what we often like when when we try to fix that, we organize an offsite where we do like trust building exercises or stuff like that, but we actually don't change anything in the incentives, incentive structures or any any of the ways that our company actually operates. We just have this feel good session, and what happens as a result of that offsite people are pay more attention maybe to the topic for for the next two weeks maybe and after that it all comes back exactly the way it was because no one changed any of the structures that are actually guiding people's behavior yeah it's 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 frustrating and again i think i think because teams especially individual contributors 
they will take the trainings, they will take the classes, they will they will work with their coaches, and they will attempt to do better work, to change the way that they work, and then review season comes around, you know, bonus season comes around, and the questions are, well, how did you contribute, right? And 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 did you deliver on time and on budget? And and it it it's frustrating. And at some point, they start to optimize their behavior back to what gets them paid, rewarded, or or promoted. 